I don't ever see telemedicine being anything other than supplementary to, to bricks and mortar practice. There will always be the need for face-to-face -face consultations. There'll always be the need for surgery and treatments that can only be carried out in a face-to-face -face manner. But what we found is that telemedicine and video triage has allowed us to be perhaps more efficient and um, more intelligent about the way that we handle our cases when they first come to us. Hi everyone and welcome to the Vet Times podcast, brought to you by Vets Now, the UK's leading provider of emergency and critical care. Today we're going to be talking about telemedicine and hopefully exploding a few of the myths around that subject. To help me do that, I'd like to welcome Vets Now's Head of Telehealth, Dave Lester. How's it going, Dave? You okay? It's good, James. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Dave. Thanks for asking. As I mentioned at the top of this, we're talking about telemedicine today and in particular busting some of the myths. So just tell me what are some of the biggest myths at the moment around telemedicine in general? I think the main myth and certainly it's the main controversy with regards to telehealth is the ability and opportunity to provide an accurate assessment of patients during the telehealth consultation and the concerns around misdiagnosis and inappropriate treatment recommendations, those sorts of things, really. I guess those are the, the, the primary controversies rather than myths, particularly. And obviously, there's been a lot of that going on this year, particularly around the college's decision to extend remote prescription, which has caused plenty of lively debate there. Yes, of course. The, I mean, the derogation uh, by the college to relax the rules with regards to uh, remote prescribing and, and permit that during the pandemic has been a, a little bit of a double-edged sword, really. Uh, I think it's provided opportunity for vets to reach out to clients and to provide them with a service, during, particularly during the initial lockdown when, when there, were, there were national shielding going on with clients unable to travel or unwilling to travel because of their health concerns. Um, certainly at that time, I think there was an absolute need for relaxation in the rules to allow patients to um, receive the, the essential medications that they required. As time's gone on and the, um, the nature of the lockdown has changed, so is the nature of the relaxation of the rules regarding remote prescribing, of course. And I think it's uh, uh, subtly different. It's a little bit more nuanced now, I think, the situation with regards to remote prescribing and the need for uh, ensuring that there's a, an ethical level of care provided to patients, that um, there is a 24-7 support provided to any patients that have received prescriptions remotely um, that's become a, a, a little bit more into the spotlight I think in the last few months so the uh, the Royal College timed the guidance in in October November time to ensure that there was always going to be provision of aftercare to these patients that received prescriptions remotely which perhaps wasn't initially in place earlier on in the year it's always been a concern and sometimes to some vets if you mention telemedicine it always seems to be a controversial subject but this is something that's been going on for as long as the telephone's been in existence hasn't it there were rightly perhaps some concerns that you couldn't do the job as well using remote technology but just describe to us how technological advancements are assisting now with the delivery of effective telemedicine solutions such as the ones that vets now have bought in well, you're absolutely right. Of course, um, telemedicine is is nothing new. We've all been adventure surgeons have all been carrying out telemedicine um, for for as long as certainly as long as I've been working. Um, 
you know, a, a telephone advice and telephone triage is, is a, an essential tool that veterinary surgeons use. Certainly in the out of hours emergency business, um, we, would, we, would, we wouldn't be able to operate if we weren't able to make remote assessments of our patients to make a decision about the, the, the necessity of after hours care. I think what um, what's changed though is the um, you know the development of the software solutions and the technology that we have in our pockets. 10, 15 years ago, even uh, as short a time period as that, you know, the, the quality of the cameras and the quality of the handheld devices that we were using was such that we could never have dealt with the pandemic in quite such this, you know, such a, an adept manner as, as we've been able to in, in, you know, in 2020, because the technology just wasn't there. It wouldn't support the level of telemedicine that we were interested in providing. And one of the things that's come out of the last 12 months, I think more than anything, is that people are, are more adept at using the software solutions. So even, even um, if you're not using devices um, for, uh, you know, and software for, for work purposes, so things like Zoom for, for video conferencing for work, most people um, during the pandemic were actually using it to keep in contact with their friends and families. So everyone, um, pretty much everyone in the UK now is, is familiar with with Zoom, even if they've not used it and, and other software solutions. Um, and therefore, a lot of the technology fear that people had and, uh, and the concerns about utilising this technology, um, that seems to have dissipated. Um, people are more familiar with using their cameras on their devices, perhaps, than they were and uh, and how to light the rooms and environments up so that they can be seen. And um, you get less issues with, you know, silhouetting with lighting from behind because people are just a little bit more um, savvy, I think, about using these sorts of technologies now than they perhaps were and certainly than they were, you know, five, ten years ago. So it's not really just the vets themselves who've had a, I suppose, the development that might have taken five to ten years has taken 12 months. It's the clients and that's another myth, isn't it, really, perhaps that's been busted since the start of the pandemic, that clients are more than able to adjust, more than able to learn. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely the case. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think if we were if we were having this conversation two years ago, half of the battle of carrying out a telemedicine consultation would be the first five minutes would be spent talking the client through how to use their devices, talking them through through, you know, just accessing the software and things. And um, we can we can largely skip that part of the consultation now. Most clients, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's not true of all clients, obviously, but most clients, uh, uh, certainly in this day and age now, are familiar enough with their devices and the software on them to be able to just step straight into a consultation and to to you know to provide the information that you need um, and to interact with you in such a way that, that there's good value on, on you know from both sides that was another challenge i think i mean there were a couple of stories appearing in some of the local press when vets were forced to adopt these remote and the telehealth wholesale across the country people were complaining about being charged effectively for for a video call but that seems to have changed that seems to have died down because you're paying for the veterinary advice whether you're in person or whether you're doing it remotely and um, I think it's a lesson learned there that the public are prepared to pay for veterinary advice and just that alone. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the, um, the the value that clients feel that they get from video consultations perhaps has changed a little bit more. And and I think that's probably to a degree down to force of circumstance. I think that, uh, um, you know, because of the pandemic and people being less able to get consultations, face-to-face consultations with their veterinary surgeons because of the um, the change in working practices within, um, within the profession, I think that's um, forced people to perhaps 
reconsider the value that they get out of a, a remote consultation. But of course, clients are also having remote consultations for their own healthcare now. And I think we've noticed particularly um, uh, a change from uh, March and April, when we initially went down into lockdown last year, human healthcare was still not being done remotely. And I think as times passed, and certainly when we got to the summer period, when most people had already started to have human healthcare consultations remotely at that stage, um, I think there has been a sort of paradigm shift in um, acceptance across the board, not just in veterinary healthcare, but in human healthcare that, um, that these things can be carried out remotely and that there is value to it and that uh, you know useful information can be gained from the from the client through um, through remote means and they don't necessarily have to have a, a face-to-face consultation for every situation certainly remote consultations are never going to replace face-to-face they're a, an adjunct to them supplementary to them but uh, they certainly have their place um, and i think the general public now are accepting of that fact yeah would you argue, though, that to a certain extent, the cat's out of the bag now, that even when, let's hope this awful pandemic comes to an end and the lockdowns come to an end with it, would you say that most practices are going to have to have some aspect, some offering in the telemedicine space going forward for a new generation of clients? You know, millennial clients, millennial owners are soon going to be the biggest market vets have. And we know they like to engage in a slightly different way. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's probably a fair point, but I think that probably was always the case, even without the pandemic. I think we were on a gradual path towards offering more diverse range of services. I think human telemedicine services are, have started to gather speed, certainly around uh, around London within the last sort of five to ten years. There've been a number of um, Doctor Care Anywhere and Babylon and and services like that that became available, and I think that they really highlighted changes that were coming anyway the veterinary profession has always followed a similar trajectory to human healthcare. obviously it lags behind for for a variety of reasons but but the fact that these services were becoming available in human healthcare gave us the opportunity really to predict that they probably would become you know fairly commonplace in veterinary healthcare at some point um, down the line and um, at vets now we started looking into telemedicine services back at, uh, you know around sort of 2017 was when we first seriously started talking about this as an opportunity for us to to develop and as something that we can offer um, to our clients as a you know as a supplementary service as an adjunct to the out of hours care that we were offering them um, so i think this has always been in the pipeline i think what What's happened in the last 12 months is that everything's accelerated dramatically um, through force of circumstance and um, so so where we are now we probably would have reached that within the next sort of four to five years i would guess and i, I think that um you're right the demographic of pet owners is changing over time i think uh, increasingly um clients are using wearable devices themselves increasingly those are becoming available for pets and things like smart cat litter trays smart cat flaps smart drinking bowls smart feeding bowls all of these sorts of devices they all tie into remote healthcare and to be able to provide information to the clinician um, without actually having to put their hands on the pet um, and um, they go hand in hand with the remote consultation services. So I think all of these things are, you know, it's a developing market. It's certainly, we've seen a lot of in- innovations in the last five years with regards to um, telehealth generally, not just remote video consultations, but telehealth generally. And uh, I think that that uh, is only going to continue to to develop over, you know, over the next uh, 10, 20 years. Um, 
the pandemic has added a bit of spice to the mix and as i say has, has certainly um accelerated the growth of this market but but i think it was always happening we'll talk about the uh, video vets now platform shortly but before we do to segue from what you just said 10 years time we're dispelling a few myths today where do we see this going sorry to put you on the spot dave but what's the natural trajectory for all this Obviously, one of the myths would be that this gets more effective. We're not going to need as many vets in as many practices. What would you say to that? Um, I think largely this comes down to a matter of regulation, really. Currently in the UK, the the Veterinary Surgeons Act is dated legislation, and it it was never designed with the uh, intention that it would future-proof against technological advances. And and certainly that's that's become clear that we're, um, you know, we're in desperate need of overhaul as far as the legislation is concerned and as far as the regulation of of telemedicine and telehealth is concerned. Um, And certainly the the RCVS have recognised that we're... um, uh, the, the profession is going through a consultation currently. The RCVS carrying out consultation on um, both uh, the development of the under care relationship and also our VAWA's uh, 24-7 um, care for patients. And I think um, the outcome of that will largely dictate how things develop within the UK over the next um, sort of 10 to 20 years. Um, so it's a little bit hard to prejudge what the outcome of that might be. But I think um, it, it's I think you mentioned earlier about the almost like the genie being out of the bottle now really at this stage I think that's all that's that's definitely the case I think um, we we will never go back to a situation where there is no telemedicine in the UK um quite the nature of that telemedicine um service and the extent to which that can be provided um will be dictated by what the regulatory changes are the big question mark of course is is whether there will be um, remote prescribing permissible in the long term and if so in what capacity whether that will be restricted to certain products or, or, or restricted to, to certain types of medication um, and I think it's uh, too early really at this stage to predict what the regulation will permit for us but I think it's likely um, personal opinion of course but I think it's likely that some degree of remote prescribing will be permissible in the long term beyond the end of the current relaxation of the regulations and that that to a degree will forge the development of, of telemedicine and remote consultations in the long term. Yeah, there's nothing like things developing and mass adoption that really will drive it. I know the pandemic has. So there are far more opportunities than threats in this. It's not going away. No. And it's for practices across the country to really embrace the benefits and find a way of working this into their offering to clients because yeah. they can engage with it. They get it. They understand it. They like it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, back to your other point, I don't ever see telemedicine being anything other than supplementary to, to bricks and mortar practice. I, I, you know, there, there, there will always be the need for, for face-to-face consultations. There'll always be the need for surgery um, and, um, and treatments that can only be carried out um, in a face-to-face manner. But um, what, we, what we found is that um, telemedicine and, uh, and video triage has allowed us to be um, uh, perhaps more efficient and um, more intelligent about the way that we handle our cases when they first come to us. It's given us another opportunity, another touch point for clients to contact us. 
um, to give us the opportunity to um, triage those cases and to decide um, their priority with regards to clinical care. And that frees up the clinicians within the practices then to focus on the cases that, that need that have the most immediate need. And obviously from an emergency um, medicine perspective, there's this clear value in that because the wide variety of cases that we get coming down to an out-of-hours clinic as an emergency means that uh, some of those will be extremely urgent, some of those will be life-threatening conditions that need immediate care, whilst others potentially could wait for significant periods of time without any welfare concerns. And what the video triage service we found has, has given us the opportunity to do is to be more intelligent about the way that we handle those cases and to free up the clinicians within the clinics to, to focus on those patients with the most immediate urgent need and perhaps delay those cases that are less urgent. So in some cases, we are seeing the use of this technology is really facilitating those really serious cases. They can be triaged quicker and they can be dealt with quicker. There's an enormous animal welfare benefit in regard to those cases, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the triage service that, that we carry out uh, remotely is is a triage service that's always been in place. It's just that would have had to that would have taken place actually in the clinic. Um, necessarily taking up time in order to to carry out that triage process. So when the patients are now arriving at the clinic, having already been triaged by the video consultation service, then the clinicians within the clinics are, are, are free from the burden of having to repeat that triage process. It's uh, you know something that allows them to just be a lot more streamlined and to to move straight on to focusing on those of the highest priority. Just for all our GP listeners and and vets across the country, what are some of the biggest pitfalls of telehealth? What would your advice be around avoiding those? Well, I think um, one of the biggest... One of the biggest issues we face, I guess, is um, the the variability of the environments that the clients work from. It's uh, you would anticipate perhaps that a client who contacts you um, and has booked an appointment will consider their environment, will set the room up so it's well lit. They'll have the pet with them when they actually start the consultation, and actually none of that happens. So it's not uncommon. Um, in fact, it's it's more common for the consultation to start and the pet not to be actually with the client when they uh, when they start the consultation. Um, similarly, um, quite commonly, the, the lighting is not quite right. And um, these these lead to challenges, I think, with regards to just examination. And one of the things that we discussed when we first started with the service is the, um, the, the real um, focus needing to be on communication and history taking and um, open and closed questioning of clients rather than trying to rely on uh, on a remote physical examination which I think is inherently um, very difficult. Um, our staff have found that um, they've had to perhaps manage their own expectations a little bit with regards to um, creating diagnostic lists so differential diagnoses so rather than coming up with a very narrow range of uh, differentials they you know the, an animal that's being sick rather than thinking through the the, the list of differential problems that might might uh, otherwise occur to them if they were examining the animal in the clinic they need to think in much broader terms so this is an abdominal problem rather than a specific organ problem and I think um, those are all skills that are developed I think through experience and through uh, you know through through additional training so I, I think we, you know, I think we found that um, the, the the quality of the examination is very variable, and therefore um, to pursue 
um, too much in the way of, of detailed examination. So asking clients to raise lips so you can look at the color of mucous membranes, check capillary refills, get them to count heart rates and respiratory rates. Whilst there is a place for those sorts of things, I think that uh, that, that they, they're perhaps less valuable than you might anticipate. And the, that uh, that video consultation um, perhaps might lead you to think would be possible um, because of the, uh, as I say, because of the variability of the environments that the clients uh, present to you. So I have some good protocols in place around that consult and also a degree of pragmatism about what can be achieved, perhaps. That's right. I think, yeah, I think pragmatism is the perfect uh, description, really. As I say, I think um, when we started with our team and we went through the training process with them, um, they're all very experienced clinicians and they're all very familiar with the triage process themselves. But the the, the triage, there's a a subtle difference between the the sort of triage that can be carried out in um, a face-to-face consultation compared with the sort of uh, triage that can be carried out remotely. And I think that that's uh, um, a relatively steep learning curve at the initial stages of developing the service but it's something that we're a lot more alert to now and uh, and certainly our staff are very familiar with um, as part of their process now vets now i believe i'm right in saying handles more out of hours cases than anyone else by some considerable margin how has telemedicine generally helped vets now over the last 12 months and what learnings have you guys had what refinements have been made and what enhancements has that been able to bring to you i guess the primary advantage for us as as i said is the um is the opportunity for clinical staff to be freed up from the triage process so when cases arrive within the clinic they've already been seen by a video triage uh, vet, then they can be confident that that case is urgent and and will need to be need to be dealt with, rather than it being something that potentially that is a worried well. I guess we would call those, because those sorts of worried well cases often can be dealt with remotely without the need for them to actually visit the clinic. And um, there's there's multiple knock on benefits from that. Of course, from a clinical perspective, that's great because it frees up the clinicians to um, focus their limited time resources on on the cases that need them most but of course from a client's perspective particularly at the moment um, they're not keen to travel down to the clinics if it's avoidable um, they you know we don't want them mixing socially and we don't want to to expose the clients or the staff to each other if that can be avoided in order to to prevent and reduce the spread of, of coronavirus and being able to offer the triage service in this way means that you know many of those cases that uh, that, that come to us are only about a third of the cases actually come to us um, are sent on to the clinics which means that two-thirds of them don't need to see a vet urgently um, and those that, that that two-thirds of cases before the um, video consultation service was was uh, set up and running those those cases would have attended the clinic and they would have been exposed to risk associated with coronavirus and and in, in addition to that they'd have been exposed to the costs associated with that so it's a you know it's a real financial benefit to the clients as well it means that rather than being faced with a significant out of hours emergency consultation fee they have a, a nominal video consultation fee um, with us um, and uh, the, the money that they save is is still in their budget for future care for their pets. So so it's a you know a welfare thing for the pets. It's a, a financial benefit for the clients, and of course at the moment it's a, a it's a health and safety benefit for all concerned with regards to not needing to travel to the clinic and mix. 
and one can see how that's an enormous benefit for the many, many practices that use vets now for their out-of-hours care. They're saving their clients money and they're providing them with a facility whereby they can speak to the leading experts when they are, as you say, worried well. They're a lot more worried well around now because they're at home more. We're all looking at our animals more. My dog is lying in an awkward position behind me as we speak, Dave. And I could imagine that would be an enormous benefit to them to be able to say, don't worry, you're in very, very safe hands. This is a proven technology. And for, as you say, a nominal fee, you can go back to bed and not worry about your pet. It's absolutely fine. You can take it to your regular vet in the morning and everyone's happy. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit a key point there, really, which is that people are sitting around looking at their pets. It's interesting. We see a we see a massive influx of calls to the Vets Now of Our service in the run up to Christmas. And one of the reasons over the years that we've discussed, one of the reasons why we think that happens is that suddenly in the run up in November, people are out and about shopping. They're perhaps not paying quite as much close attention to their pets as they would do. And then as the dust settles and the entire family is around over Christmas and they all sit around and they all notice uh, amongst them that uh, that perhaps the dog isn't looking quite as bright as it as it was doing a couple of weeks ago. So we see this massive influx of cases in the you know actually over the bank holidays over Christmas. Um, and I think that we've seen a similar situation in the pandemic. As you said, people are at home; they're noticing um, perhaps behavioural changes in their pets more than they would do. So we've seen a, a big increase in calls up, uh, to the out of hours service throughout the whole of the last 12 months really but particularly over the Christmas and New Year period which was one of the busiest that we've had um, and a lot of those cases now can be directed towards the video triage service and uh, clients can um, can get expert advice um, without the need to, to to travel down to the clinic and uh, the you know the inherent expense associated with that um, you know that we we've introduced recently what we call the never pay twice promise as well which is further reduces the financial risk to the client. So if the client um, contacts us and they have a video consultation with us um, for, for £24, then if they then subsequently need to see a vet because the triage has recommended that, then we refund the cost of the triage consultation for them. So clients have a, you know, a real benefit here, um, a real opportunity for, for getting expert advice with, with almost zero financial risk to them. Um, you know, we're working very closely with our subscriber practices to make sure that we return the cases to them. And as, as I've mentioned before, if they're not spending the money with us um, because they've not needed to visit us, then, of course, that budget's then available for them to to use on preventative health care or, or, you know, just ongoing care with their with their daytime practices. So we like to feel that we're, you know, we're working as an extension of the daytime practices rather than in competition with them for that reason. It sounds to me very much like a win-win situation. And there's been a ton of work gone into this process of developing these systems and I dare say there's going to be a lot more work ongoing to develop those systems for the future. But that's a whole nother podcast, Dave. So um, <laughs> I'd just like to thank you for coming in today. That was really, really interesting and hopefully we should be speaking very soon. I look forward to it, James. Thanks very much.